first of all, what is that cap you're rocking on your lettuce, bro? What what is that? Oh, uh, this is a uh, hat for the Lehigh Coquies. Uh, Coquie is a frog in uh, Spanish, so this is the uh, this is the Coquies. The Coquies. Yeah, yeah, they're a triple uh, A uh, club up in uh, Lehigh Valley, Pennsylvania. Yeah, which is where I was last week. So I um, went to a went to the ballpark, went to see a game. You know, I did not get to see the Cookies play, but I bought their swag instead of the uh, local. What was, uh, what was the ballpark like? Ballpark was nice. Uh, you know, pretty decent Triple A park. Jesus, I love minor league baseball. It's a Father's just, Day it's, at the ballpark. A, you know, it's I'm not so much complain. fun. I, I tell people, you know, it's just like just go to the ballpark, man. Like it's just yeah. it is it is the best time. You just relax. they were laughing at me. They were laughing at me because you know I'd get up, I'd do the dances. I got, I got yeah. excited about the Philly fanatic was there, and I'm like, what? oh my god, you guys, yeah, he was there. Yeah. yeah oh, cool. Yeah. Have yeah, you got any video really, of it? I do. I have a little bit of video. Okay, maybe you can uh, of, post a little bit of video. That'd be nice. Of the shenanigans. I'll of put that in the Discord. I love that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> oh, by the way, people, we 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 are we are officially social media active. We now have a Discord, and uh, I will put that in the show notes this week. A link. Uh, so that you can uh, uh, link out, but yeah, we're all we're all live, ready to go, getting all professional and whatnot. By the way, uh, we're two lonely PhDs. Uh, I am Jeffrey Hayes. He is Dr. Joseph Watson, and we uh, talk about films. That's what we do here. So, uh, so you went last night to the Thing 40th Anniversary 4K supposed 4K restoration print, <laughs> sponsored by Fathom Events. How'd it go? Uh, well, you know, I, I knew you were going to ask me this. I just instinctively knew, um, we had a wonderful experience. Okay. Uh, okay Fathom cool. events does these screenings, right. And they, you know, they advertise quite, quite extensively and for demographics like us, right. They're great markets. Right. And so, um, I think with that has to come the realization within Fathom events that we are not punks, right. We will not <laughs> just eat your shit. And, you know, I mean, they released a really shitty cut mm. of Carpenter's The Thing, and they messed up the aspect ratio, which was like a cardinal sin mm -hmm. for the Carpenter fandom, right? Because mm -hmm. he shoots in 2351. So if you crop it to 1851, that's not, that's not even close to the same movie, you know, that Carpenter so, shot. Just so just to let people know, 2351 is, is basically like standard widescreen for cinema. It's, yes. Right. Uh, it's made for cinema, right? To see it right. on cinema screens. And mm -hmm. um, it just basically allows you to really stretch the frame. So you see mm -hmm. a lot of what's on what we call negative space of the camera, which is left mm -hmm. and right of the frame. Mm -hmm. uh, so you have a lot more opportunity to really paint a canvas mm -hmm. when you're shooting in widescreen. And is, it looks great in movie theaters. Right. So is one, but is the, is the version that they were showing then more attuned for like uh, home HD televisions? Or, yeah, it, yeah. It, yeah. It chopped off the edges of the frame. And so mm -hmm. you're, you know, you're, you're seeing maybe 25 to 30% of what Carpenter intended for you to see that's a as a storyteller. And it's, yeah, it's, it's awful. So the fan base went nuts after the June 19th father's day screening. That was the premiere mm -hmm. fan base went nuts. Fathom social media, myself included, I got on there. I mean, I was really raving at them because I had tickets for the 22nd show and it was a big deal to me. Mm -hmm. So props to them though, at least for my screening, we had the 4k res uh, restoration print mm -hmm. 
um, and, and or DCP, Digital Cinema Package. We had the 4K uh, restoration, and it was uh, corrected to the proper aspect ratio of 2351, awesome. and it looked amazing. Sound and mix was, was okay. Everything was sound was great. It was it was really well mixed, and they did the right thing. So, props to them for listening to their fan base and 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 trying to fix it. Now, give all those people from June nineteenth vouchers and Absolutely. do it one more time and look, right, or right. set up a free screening, or you know, right. and send them tickets via email and say, "Here's your complimentary tickets back. We're so sorry." That's uh, right. Fathom, do the right thing. Do the right thing, yes, and Absolutely. then sponsor us. But because <laughs> I'm going to give them, I'm going to give them a little shout out that you know, and and warn them that in, this fall I'm I'm going to go back to a okay. Fathom event. Okay, you know, agreed that they're going to send a decent DCP to movie theaters to you know to screen. But they're doing Star Trek Two Wrath of Khan. God, is that the anniversary coming up? It is. And, oh, and, uh, you know, I did see that in the movie theaters, but I'm, I'm happy to go back and see it again. Definitely if it's restored and if they've done a nice job, because that's my favorite of the film franchise. It is uh, for people who have not seen it. It is a tour de force of two Titans of cheese just going at it. I mean, it's Shatner and, forth, and Ricardo Montalban. Yeah. Just, holy it's moly. Wonderful. And oh it's Star God. Trek, so it's great, you know. And it's, it's Star Trek, and it's really, uh, it's. I still think about the earworms. Like it is a. It's frightening. Haunting. That it's, earworm sequence is gruesome, and it scared the crap out of me when I was a kid. Yeah. It really did, man. I was freaked out by that. Yeah. Freaked still, out. Ugh, just anything in my ears. Ugh. Oh, so tired. Uh, we are uh, well. Speaking of today's movies, uh, we watched a couple for this week. Uh, I watched uh, Robert Altman's Secret Honor from 1984, and Dr. Watson uh, watched uh, Just One of the Guys, uh, Lisa Gottlieb's film from 1985. So we're, we're kind of going backwards back into the 80s. Uh, and, uh, you know, well, again, that's, that's, that's how we grew up. That's, you know, that's how we matured. That's how we first came to appreciate films. We went to the movies all the time. Uh, and we were talking about, I remember back in the Top Gun episode where, uh, you know, we were discussing how do we sort of describe our general, you know, we're, we're a Vietnam, we're Vietnam babies, we're Reagan babies, uh, we're also Cineplex babies because it was the 80s where the Cineplexes multiplied like nuts uh, with malls and everything and people who are a fan of Stranger Things, I think it's season three uh, that, they, that takes place in the mall, uh, that's pretty much a pretty good distillation of the times like that's you know the duffers they, they they're kind of on it like I, I give them credit grand it slam. is a home run yeah. about to be a grand slam yeah i hope so i hope yeah. so i haven't seen the uh i'm, I'm waiting for the final episodes to drop mm -hmm. in a couple of weeks before i sit down and commit myself so right uh, there with you done uh i tell you what i've been first the first two weeks why don't you go first oh oh all right <laughs> sweet let's do that uh, so, uh, just one of the guys was a, uh, you know, I guess we could describe it as a teen comedy from the eighties. It's listed mm -hmm. as, uh, you know, one of the, it's in the top 50 most lists of, mm -hmm. uh, you know, really quality, uh, for lack of a better term there, uh, teen comedies, Lisa Gottlieb, uh, who has an MFA in creative writing, by the way, but I can't oh. verify where she's still teaching, but for a while she was uh, an associate professor at the Ringling College of Art and Design. Hmm. Um, but she's taught at other places like USC, Miami, Columbia. I mean, these are not, you know, 
stinky. No, these are, these are major Uh, programs. These are very major (laughs) film programs. So, you know, um, yeah. So uh, she's, you know, uh, doesn't really have like a super impressive filmography, but thought it was great that there was a woman, you know, uh, directing the film uh, Mm -hmm. because she seemed to be very clued in to the content and material that they're, story kind of riffs off of uh, Shakespeare's 12th night a little bit. It's a gender mm-hmm. swap uh, comedy as opposed to a body swap comedy. Body swaps were also very popular in the eighties. Yes. Um, we had, but, uh, uh, let's see, we had the Kirk Cameron, uh, Dudley like Moore, like son. Like father, like son. Did yes. we have Judge Reinhold uh, one? Or vice versa was the Judge vice Reinhold. Versa. That's right. Yes. With Fred Savage, I might add in that, I oh. think as well. Um, God, uh, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, but but there's a there's a very clear distinction in 80s movies between, you know, the gender swaps and the body swaps because they were kind of dealing with different issues, I think. Um and so uh Lisa Gottlieb described this film as pitched basically as a Tootsie in a high school, right? Because in the early <laughs> 80s you had um you did have some gender swap movies, Tootsie, All of Me, Victor Victoria, yes. The World According to Garb, Yentl. Well, let's not forget Yentl and Barbara Streisand. I mean, can we forget Yentl? Yeah, right. I mean, come on, man. That's a terrible we'll movie. Forget that one. Yeah, yeah it's a terrible uh, movie. <laughs> um, but this uh, script and real production came from the mind of Jeff Franklin, who was also the man who eventually would would sort of uh, create Full House and that mm-hmm. whole legacy. So, so we're definitely in a teen comedy with a little bit of a twist. So the story here goes is that Terry, who's played by the lovely Joyce Heiser, uh, mm-hmm. who um, at one time was involved in a relationship with Bruce Springsteen. I don't know if they're still together or not, but at the time of making the movie, they were uh, dating. Uh, she plays Terry and uh, she's an aspiring journalist and she wants to win this essay contest that will give her an internship uh, at a large newspaper and obviously lead to college and success. Mm-hmm. And she's denied uh, to be a part of the competition based on gender. And so she, of course, smells the sexism, smells the patriarchy, and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, basically decides that she's going to go to a rival high school dress as a boy Mm -hmm. and enter the competition there at the other high school and thus winning and, you know, proving her her point. Um, I I want to point out that she goes to a high school like across town. Like she does. It, it, yeah. And what I love about that, what I love about that is like apparently no one from any other high school has ever interacted with anybody else. <laughs> Which is yes, it's very funny. Um, you know, because you, you would run into those folks uh, you know, at the chicken shack or somewhere, right, you know, right. uh at some point. Uh, high school f- sports, you know, you, you would Something. run into them. Skating, right? Dance. But we'll, we'll, we'll suspend it. This is, you know, this is a uh, revisionist Shakespeare here, Jeff. Sure, right? sure, so sure, we, sure. Have to, we have to, we have to play along, I guess. Um, the film is kind of unapologetically, I think, heterosexual, right? Mm. But it's an extremely sex positive movie because it gets really interesting. You know, most of these teenagers like Terry, when we first meet her, Rick, her, her boyfriend and, um, uh, you know, Greg, even in the, in the story, mo- most of these people are already, they've already lost their virginity, right? Which is kind of counterintuitive to John Hughes movies and, you know, where you get the kind of virginal character. The, these people are cool with sex, right? The only one who's not mm-hmm. is the little brother, Buddy, who's like... <laughs> the heterosexual linchpin right of the movie right Um, i i find it i was amazed uh uh we were watching it and 
and he has like more naked pinups in his room it's ridiculous than i've ever seen <laughs> and the only conclusion i could come to was that one of the uh uh, uh story points in the movie is that the parents have gone away on some lengthy vacation or something right. leaving her the older sister in charge of him to europe this, because the middle class could afford those trips and 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 all i could think was he must have put those up after his parents left because what mother in her right mind right right this is okay (laughs) not our mothers jeff our mothers would have not had that nonsense no 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 also i i love his character so much it's so Uh, extreme right that you just yeah but but like you you said it's it's got this weird because let me tell you something the kid's in shape like he's they kind of try to like paint him as kind of nerdy and awkward mm-hmm. but there's this one scene where like he's like in a robe and his shirt's up he's got like a 12 pack man like he is ripped and i think about high school i'm just like yeah yeah i don't understand yeah yeah <laughs> so much aggression and energy must work out yeah i mean uh definitely definitely it's totally there but, but this, um in, in, yeah, i just want to ask you again like so when, when you say sex positive like what do you mean exactly? Like what, what? Well, what I mean by that, it's not a shaming thing, right? These kids mm-hmm. have all had sex, right? And mm-hmm. it's not a big deal. It's just, just something that grownups or adults do. And that's kind of a different kind of spin that, that we normally get with high school yes. main characters, right? Um, right. And, uh, and so I liked that part of it. And then, of course, the movie gets more and more like complex and layered because obviously Terry is going to fall in love with, um, uh, you know, with Rick. Mm-hmm. And um, Rick, of course, is going to become afraid that, oh, I get it. Terry's just a gay man and he needs to, you know, he's got a crush on me. And h- how am I going to handle this without legitimately hurting feelings or, you know, ruining mm-hmm. friendships or something like that? And then, of course, it gets even more layered when, uh, you know, when Sandy, who's played by the lovely Sherilyn Flynn, Finn, oh. Oh, so you good know, to see her. It's I'm always- so sorry that she did two Moon Junction because she she's a talented actress, I think. And, and did she you, got unfairly late. I loved her in The Return. Yeah. Like the, yeah, the twist, yeah. I'm still trying to figure out what it was exactly, but and I've seen it three <laughs> times. And but when she showed up with her little bits in Twin Peaks The Return, folks, it's it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Um, so she's playing Sandy in this a very young, uh, lady at this point in her career. And, um, Sandy, of course, becomes attracted to Terry, who's not biologically, uh, male. Right. Uh, and so, um, that, that even makes the sort of, uh, sexual identity triangle much more complex and humorous to, to, to follow. Right. And, Mm -hmm. And of course, eventually we get, you know, to the point where there's the reveal, uh, there's like a brief, you know, nude shot of, of, of Joyce's breasts. And that was a huge part of the, the yeah. story, you know, for uh, Lisa, she, you know, said, I'm going to do this the right way. And Joyce said, no, it, it, it has to be there. You know, she kind of understood Interesting. it as well. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's a great shot. Well, I mean, it's, it's, um, the, and, it's, uh, the, it's, it's a great moment. It really is. It's kind of the the climax of the film, you know. It's right. the it's it's the it's the big the, reveal. It's right? the big reveal. Yeah, yeah. kind of like uh, what's I was gonna say, kind of like when uh, Dirk Diggler whips it out, you know, in Boogie Nights at the end. It's just like you've heard about it, heard about it, heard about it, and then Paul Thomas Anderson's like, "Here it is." Yep. Yeah. Right there. 
Um, and so uh, I, I think what's what's most fascinating to me, Jeff, after watching this, because it's a fun mm-hmm. little movie, right? I mean, you, oh, it you, is. It's you, very. I highly you, recommend the movie. I think I think it's very underrated. Um, but it's funny because at the mm-hmm. end of uh, of the film, what seems to be the dramatic relief that comes out of it is, oh, thank God, it's not a a, a gay man. Yeah, <laughs> and that's and that's what's you know kind of like. Mm, Interesting, yeah. you know, like it's totally okay that you cross-dressed and pretended to be, you know, a different gender or, or acted that out, you know, and right. wanted to kind of put on that skin and all, you know, sure, mm-hmm. that's great, you know, Whew, we're just so glad that you're a heterosexual right. female and not, you know, so there, there is mm-hmm. that kind of vibe at the end. And then there's one other kind of cringy moment, I think, for 2022, and it's when Buddy is talking to his parents there in Europe. Mm-hmm. And he says, uh, Terry had a sex change operation <laughs> and they still want to talk to Terry. And Buddy says, OK, I'll go put it on the phone. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's one of those moments where you go, "Ooh, right. you know, uh, and so you have to kind of mark, you know, those kinds of moments, especially for 2022 audiences. Right. Sure. Um, you may not have experienced um uh 80s kind of comedy but yeah you got william zabka you know oh, johnny the zabka the kid he's, a, he's you playing know, the bully again just, you know again I mean, you know at this, you know what we, we've got him in 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 karate kid we've got him in this we've got him in uh uh, uh back to school he also plays the bully in back to school uh there's one more the quintessential 80s bully and yeah. i think it's amplified that his presence is amplified jeff i think because terry when dressed as a boy looks almost exactly like Ralph Macchio from the karate kid. It looks exactly like Daniel. It's funny. It's funny. So you think they just played that up? Yeah. I, I, I I don't know if I I don't know if they were conscientious. I don't know when the shooting times and whether Mm. they overlapped because karate kid came out (laughs) the year before, Mm. but I don't know when they shot. So Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's uh, that, that that's uh, that's always funny to me. And I think a lot of other people who see it and, and are aware of Cobra Kai and some other things. So. Well, well, staying too on on you were talking about that you know you've read that they were trying to do a bit of a a bit of a twelfth night, you know, adaptation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would point out for for twenty twenty two audiences also uh, who were not used to it, uh, you know, when when hey Terry does the guy voice. Yeah. Um, look, guys, you know. <sighs> Yeah, how do you explain it was not that? unusual in well it wasn't unusual in the groundlings time you know I, I mean this goes back to to actual when shakespeare was alive and stage productions were done you know i mean it was just like you know men playing women uh and 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 you know putting on affectatious voices so i mean it's not there's I a history what, to it yeah there is yeah. a history to it it's not just chosen out of malice towards gender i i, I guess right. i should put it that way there you go um, that's and, well, well said and and you know that's also, what I would I, I would say too again is we we're not making excuses for again Buddy's comment about transgender you know stuff or it, it's just again in part of what we try to teach students all the time too is just about understanding context and understanding yes. time you know time frame yes it, you can be outraged by it and that and that's fine but don't let that distract you from the overall analysis of of what you're trying to do I mean that's right. that literally the thing that Buddy says is one line in in the film and i could i could see how people might try to you know develop an argument out of that a little bit Mm -hmm. too much and i'm Mm -hmm. like 
it's valid. I'm not saying it's not valid. I'm just saying like, I think you would, your energies could be spent elsewhere, you know, in, in sort of analyzing maybe how this film fits into the other teen comedies of right. time. Right. Because I, I have to say, Jeff, this was, this movie had a $5 million budget. It went on to make an excess of 90 million. So it was a what? big hit for the time. Wow. Yeah, it was a big hit. It just ran for months, Lisa Gottlieb said in a couple of mm-hmm. interviews. It's just it turned 35 years old a couple of years ago. So I was wow. able to read several interviews with her and kind of get some backstory on on how the script was developed and stuff. But what was more interesting from those interviews, Jeff, and this fits to what your point that you were making, is that the LGBTQIA community has overwhelmingly responded to this movie in positive ways and talking hmm. about okay. this movie helped me be me. This movie okay. encouraged me to be me. This movie is a, was a wonderful reprieve for me, you know, um, during rough times. And so I think that the, uh, there, there is a sense, at least from what I found in my research, that, mm-hmm. that it's an overwhelmingly positive movie. And so, yeah, if you get hung up on one mistake, you know, we definitely should make the marks. We should call it out mm-hmm. um, when we see it but, uh, or hear it. And, but at the same time, it shouldn't take away from what the, overalls movie effect, or the overall effect of the movie has been on uh, a community. Uh, of well, also, as you, you you pointed out earlier, too, I mean, look look at what the main plot point is here. It's it's about someone calling out BS on, you know, unfair gender roles, right. uh, inequality, being told that, you know, in the her boyfriend, the the weird, he's weird, that's a weird <laughs> college guy, like he's just weird, like he like he's ste- like he stepped out of like leave it to Beaver or something like it's yeah. just weird, his attitude. Uh, you know, that was, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what they were going for with that. But anyway, uh, just her being trying to be a quote unquote at the time, a modern woman uh, or yes. modern feminism. Um, yes. You know, I'm not quite sure if that would be second or third wave by that time in the 80s. I think it would have been third wave, but uh, I'd have to go back and, and, and look at that a little bit it's more closely. <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah, Since I've had those courses, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's just overall... Uh, I think that, you know, uh, and, and again, a very positive here that, that we have a female director um, and female directors at the time were, were in the 80s, to, yeah. in the 80s yeah. were, were primarily making comedies for studios um, because for some reason that was the one job, you know, the studios would give them um, and they made the most of it. I mean, real genius, Martha Coolidge, uh, this film, uh, uh, Amy, Heckerling, Amy Heckerling, Fast, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. High. Yeah. Um, these films have bite. Yeah. These films have place. These films yeah. have something to say about, about things. You know, uh, Fast Times has things to say about abortion. Uh, you know, this film has things to say about gender uh, uh, inequality. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Real Genius is about finding your place, you know, finding your tribe, fitting in, uh, you know, uh, being the outsider, even in a group of outsiders. So it's, 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 um, it's unfair to dismiss these movies, you know, as either formulaic teen comedies or to dismiss them for, you know, a mark or two here or there, um, you know, when really, when, you know, considered inside a context allows you for a moment of, of learning and, and, and growth, yeah. you know. Uh, Absolutely. Good stuff. Absolutely. Good stuff. Oh, well, we are the Lonely PhDs. We review films. I'm Dr. Jeffrey Hayes. He's Dr. Joseph Watson. Um, We're rolling along in this episode. 
Uh, next, I'm going to talk about Robert Altman's 1984 film, Secret Honor, but I need to mention first, um, I came to this film because recently Philip Baker Hall passed away, uh, who I first, the first time I ever saw or I can remember seeing him in anything was Boogie Nights. Um, and it's just his small bit on screen in Boogie Nights is so perfect that later I had learned that Paul Thomas Anderson had done a film before that, uh, which they called Hard Eight, but Paul Thomas Anderson called Sydney because the film got taken away from him. Uh, and it's Philip Baker Hall's movie. And when you watch it with him and John C. Riley, it is it's so good. <laughs> I mean, it is just so good. Uh, and, and he would go on to, to be in, uh, 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 uh Magnolia, uh, as Jimmy Gator, uh, as, you know, as well. Um, so, so if anything, watch his performances in PTA's films. Uh, I, I think that he, he was an extreme talent, uh, and he will be missed. Uh, and of course he is forever the library, the library policeman from Seinfeld. So, uh, <laughs> which was also, uh, that was making the rounds on the memes. And I was glad, actually, I was very glad to see that. Cause I was just like, Oh good. People, you know, at least recognize him from that. What, what was the first movie you saw with him? Do you remember? Probably hard eight, maybe mm -hmm. boogie nights. Um, I think I experienced those around the same time, but, um, you know, if you do a scroll through his filmography on IMDb, Mm -hmm. I mean, that guy did so much work, mm -hmm. TV, movies, voiceover, uh, you know, he was just consummate working man, you know, uh, just always, uh, always doing stuff. But I think the PTA stuff was obviously some of his shinier work. He was given, you know, opportunities mm -hmm. to, uh, to really excel, but secret honor, you know, I have seen this film, mm -hmm. uh, it's a tour de force. It's just, it's just watching. It's almost like going to theater mm -hmm. and, and watching a one person show uh, and, and just being riveted by, you know, the, the performance and the way that it's just carrying everything. So, so Robert Altman had had his string of movies uh, beginning with mash uh, in the late sixties, early seventies had become a bit of a darling, uh, you know, always fighting the system though. And, you know, he, I mean, to, to read through his filmography of the 70s is just like a playbook of 70s filmmaking because it's, you know, but also revolutionizing the way that, you know, we record sound in films and the way we record dialogue with being the first to, you know, basically open up all the microphones and just let cross dialogue and clatter and everything happen. Uh, the only time I've ever had a problem with it was in California Split. Uh, I felt it was the mix just I, or at least maybe I heard an incorrect mix I don't I don't know but I've always been bothered by it in California split just a little bit I thought it was just a little bit too much but um so Altman gets to the point uh uh after Nashville um which we would say is his biggest film of the 70s or most successful film in the 70s I, 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 I think would, that's fair I would I'm say having that's fun fair. watching you out here swim in the water here talking about uh, uh, Altman, because you know he's <clears throat> he's one of my all-time faves. Uh, oh man, you know, I, you know. I mean, and I know and, I know you love him too. Oh yeah, know, McCabe yeah. and Miss Miller, the Long Goodbye. Uh, uh, is it is it images or mirrors? I always get that. Uh, um, yeah, uh, images. Images. Yeah, you're thinking uh, you of finally, images. Yeah, I finally yeah. watched that. You you hounded me for years, and I watched it. It's, I think it's still on Amazon Prime. It it's it's riveting. Like it's 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 just a really 
creepy story uh, and so beautifully shot. Uh, but, but, you know, he gets to Popeye uh, and for some reason, Popeye sinks him. Although that film was a success, it is a financial success. It turned a decent profit for the Disney corporation, but it has been, had a legacy of bad juju hanging over it. And it, the studios just turned on him at that point. So he now takes a strange turn in his career. Uh, and he goes on a string of four or five in a row uh, adaptations of stage plays. Uh, beginning, I believe, Secret Honor is the first one in 84. Um, and he uses, uh, I, was, I was going back through my research on it. Uh, also, you know, he, uh, he teamed up with uh, his DOP, Pierre Minot. I might be, you know, uh, butchering his name. I apologize. Uh, and and basically, you know, this is he's doing. Uh, Welcome back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean, uh, which is the most popular, I think, in this cycle of of theater adaptations that he does mm -hmm. uh, in these films. Uh, what's interesting about this is that, and and this is where we can get a little bit picky about, you know, adapt adaptations of a stage drama where you're literally reproducing the stage. <laughs> um, you know, is it the most riveting filmmaking? No, it's not. You know, it's, it's, this is about performance and it's in, in, in Altman tries to move the camera as much as he can. Um, he's got a couple of clever, he's got some clever moves about, you know, trying to show, you know, the, 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 uh, the TV generation, you know, uh, Nixon filming himself with the closed circuit TVs, uh, zooming in on the closed circuit TVs while the monologue's going on at certain points, Nixon manipulating it, um, you know, and, and that's, you know, I, I would file that away more as clever. Uh, other than just, you know, just trying to keep static all the time, because it's a movie. Again, this isn't a stage play. You just can't set the camera back. And, and I mean, you can, but people are really going to hate it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's just no, there's just no kinetic. There's no kineticism to it. Um, huge challenge. Huge, huge challenge. challenge. But, but where, where I think other than performance, where I thought that the, the film was very, very successful was in set design. And making sure to to what film can do that that often the stage cannot do is create claustrophobia. Uh, and the claustrophobia in this case is 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 Nixon's uh, office in New Jersey. It's his home office, and he's designed his home office kind of like the White House. It, he's surrounded by by paintings of former presidents and colleagues people that have been deemed successful by the public, by history, uh, that he feels like he cannot live up to. And I thought that that was cutting the shots of those, cutting the shots of, you know, him berating them or feel like that they're silently judging him. Uh, that was, that was beautiful. That, that so was. We should, so we should, we should set everybody up because you've given a wonderful description. So the, the basic story is we're following Nixon, right? Uh, right. Well, Nixon, I'm going to put Nixon in quotes okay? because right. this is, right. you know, um, the, the uh, subtitle for this is a political myth. Um, and, you know, there's even a, a disclaimer at the beginning of the film that states this is not fact. 
Although they pulled a lot of facts from <laughs> from the transcription yeah. records. Yes. You know, for anybody who even knows a little bit about 70s history, Watergate, you know, and whatnot, this is, you know, it's, you know, when he starts spitting that stuff out about Alderman, I just, it was, I was dying because it was just like, just that vileness towards it. Um, so this is basically Richard Nixon post-presidency having a, for some reason, he's been in crisis. He's trying to prove himself. We believe that he's recording himself again, uh, what we believe to a secretary uh, whose name is, it's Roberto. That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> Roberto, make sure you edit that out. Um, he's talking to the faceless Roberto through the tape. Um, and he keeps talking as if he's talking to a, a panel or, or a committee of some kind saying your honor, you know, judge, you know, your justice, like, like he's almost on trial or he's facing trial, which of course, he never did. You know, he was for, for people who don't know, you know, he was, he basically resigned. I mean, we can just say he resigned and then pardoned uh, and yeah. then pardoned. Yeah. Yes. As was part of the deal. Um, you know, uh, but you know, we're, we're not quite sure who he's speaking to. Confessional. Here, here, is that fair? If I is confessional, it yes. Is it, yeah. Well, it's also, again, with the set design, wood paneled walls, uh, mahogany's it's a dark, prison. Right. It's it's not only a prison, but it's also it's an it's it's official. It's you know power power colors of the time. But I would also say uh, colors of the church, colors of certain religions. He wears a burgundy robe, um, which I instantly identify as Catholic. Um, I also some of the wood paneling I would identify as Catholic. So I think it's interesting that you do say confessional uh, as well because he can't he he refuses to leave the room. Also, he can leave the room at any time of his own free will and volition, but he chooses not to leave the room. He's just trapped. Yeah. He's yeah. trapped by his own ego, his own need for all of these things for forget. It, it's just, it gets very complicated. Uh, the more that you've kind of sit with it and watch it, I think even taking it out of historical context, if you knew nothing about Watergate or who Nixon was, I don't think you'd, it, it would be a stretch here to say that this is a very complicated person um, and a very troubled person. Um, and, and I also enjoyed uh, that the, you know, they shot this, it looked like in 5.3, at least the version I watched, uh, again, to mimic television screens, to mimic claustrophobia, to mimic uh, uh, theater stage, you know, that, that closed in box. Um, and I, I posted that for people. If you want to watch this, maybe I posted it on the Discord, uh, the YouTube link that I watched. Um, so I might be wrong. There might be another version of it, maybe Criterion. I know they put out a version. It, it might have a widescreen version, but the version I watched at least was not in widescreen. So, and it worked. You know, it it absolutely worked. I don't, I don't know. Was do you do you know if Altman was going for that? Like he was just going for the continual visual motif of television, television, television. Or yes, I think it was intentional, um, mm -hmm. from what I know. And of course, the most fascinating thing about this particular project, Jeff, mm -hmm. that I'll just kind of <laughs> toss out with all the wonderful stuff that you said, is that he shot this with the University of Michigan film department. Mm -hmm. It was a way for him to kind of get cheap crew. Uh, who needed experience, right, on working on movies. Uh, mm -hmm. And he produced a lot of the financing for this simply mm -hmm. because 
he was able to recruit the local film department uh, mm -hmm. to help him shoot it. Um, so, it's, you know, it's more of Altman being a rebel, a maverick, you know, just mm -hmm. I'm going to keep telling my stories my way. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll find a way, you know. And so he's very, very intentional, I think, with um, with what he tried to do with that. And of course, you know, trying to honor uh, the performance that he was getting. You know? My God, and it, it, it's just <laughs> it's exhausting. I, I mean, you watch it and, you know, I, I went into this film again. I hadn't I'd never seen it. I'd, I'd read about it a little bit uh, over the years. Uh, I thought he was going to try to pull a rope where it was, you know, one shot continuous, mm. you know, with sneaky edits in there. But he didn't. And thank God, because it's just like Philip Baker Hall would have had a heart attack. Like it was just right. there's just no way, man. Right. I, it's it's crazy. Like his gesticulations, him going, you know, from zero to 80 all the time. Uh, the sweat is real. Uh, also, uh, the way that the lighting is done, you know, it's I'll go back to your, uh, 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 you know, the confessional, you know, who has lights that bright in their in their study? Like, it's just like, no, no, that's that's intentional torture for one person. Like he is right. torturing himself. Right. Uh, uh, to to put himself through the self-flagellation, uh, through the alcohol he's drinking, through the gun he is keeping on the desk, through the clock, the constant motif of time getting away from you. It'll be too late. History will pass you by. Time moves really weird in this movie because when every time we turn to the clock, a lot more time has passed than is actually counted on the screen if you're paying attention to the clock. Like... There are hours going by, not minutes, not, you know, when he when he does the clock cuts, it's just like a lot of time is going by. And, and you know, and Nixon is very aware of it. Um, it. It makes me think, too, about. The sympathetic or or maybe not sympathetic. Trying to understand someone who has been historically vilified and trying to find empathy. I think Oliver Stone tried it with his representation of Nixon and Anthony Hopkins. Um, I would say that he, he succeeded a much more empathetic degree uh, based on that. The ending of this film is horrifying. Uh, and I will not give it away. <laughs> you just have to get to the end. I did not see it coming. Uh, it was actually, it kind of shook me. Like, like I was just like, oh my Jesus, like, whew, it's intense. But, but I think yes. Stone's, Stone's film is, is much more sympathetic uh, in, in, in the way also he shoots it in that, in that, in a softer light. Uh, it's of course not in one, of course it's not in one place. You know, it's, it's more of a true uh, autobiographical, you know, uh, historical drama. And he, he uses a lot of soft lighting techniques and, and sort of what he had become, who, who was his, cinematographer on on that do you remember who, who i think it was robert richardson mm -hmm. um and you know that he also you know stone when he does his uh historical biopics you know he he really loves to infuse um archival footage uh yes. you know sometimes recreated footage uh you know it's kind of what made him controversial in some ways as a film historian or filmmaker who makes films about history um you know but yeah he, much more um 
sort of uh, editing choices, right, uh, as opposed to Secret Honor, right, where it's just much more contained, um, you know, but, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, Stone's films are much more epic, bigger on, on, on every part of the scale from story to location to, you know, to production and, and aesthetic devices. So for sure. I was but. confused by the, the, the tagline on the poster for this film. It said, anyone can be president. I, I, I don't know if that's a, a mismarketing of this film because that's not what you really get from this. This is not, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I didn't get that. I, I mean, maybe I'm confused yeah, I by it actually. Yeah, I, I, I'm not really, I haven't, I haven't really thought about it uh, mm -hmm. to be honest with you. Um, I know that some critics, uh, Roger Ebert, as well as um, Andrew Saras talked about this movie as being conical in many aspects and i could not disagree more i yeah, I, wow. I, I don't yeah i i just well, I'm, really I'm missing the satire that. then yeah I, I, you if know. it's a satire i missed it yeah. um and so maybe someone who is more 60s 70s can explain that but yeah. um uh but i i i did not see those uh those elements or components so you know, it's a it's a rare little gem of a movie. Uh, Criterion does have um, a, a nice edition. They now. do. They have a nice version of it. Okay. Um, but is, is there uh, commentary on it? Do you know? Or there there is a um, there there are a few features. I think there's an essay on there okay. by um, I, I do not remember his name, so I'm, mm -hmm. I I couldn't tell you or or help that. But there is some nice supplementary material mm -hmm. on there, and there's there is a featurette talking about the making of and how he. Mm -hmm use the University of Michigan Film Department, which mm -hmm. I still think is just genius. You know, it's just like a genius way to, to tell a movie. Um, uh, but yeah, it's th there is a nice addition out if people want to go, you know, if people want to go deeper. Yeah. People want to go beyond Amazon Prime. Well, you know, I thought it was interesting too, because I just, again, based on his filmography and then this, this turn he was now taking in his professional life, you mm -hmm. know, because again, Altman started in television and in industrials, right, and, and all that. Mm -hmm. Then he went to film, mm -hmm. had the run of films, filmmaking, well, I say film, I'll put it in quotes, you know, uh, Hollywood turned their back on him uh, after the Popeye, and he turns to the stage in doing this. Now, I understand there was, by the way, there's very little about this film. Like, I, I was trying to find as much as I could, and there's very little about this film. Um, I'm curious, if he was still alive, I would ask him, was just like, what, how did you come to this? Like how did, did you know? I mean, I think he yeah. directed the stage version as well. Just like with uh, "Come Back to the Five and Dime," Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean, he directed. Yeah, the, he did a lot of theater directing for a while. Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. I, I'm curious how he just came to this project, or, or or how it was presented to him. Yeah, I think it's with through theater. Um, you know, there's uh, there's quite a bit of Altman scholarship, but but there's not. Um, I think there's one collection, University of Mississippi Press, does a mm. great series of yes, directors' uh, interviews, and it's just a compilation of interviews from a lot of different sources into one text, which is just phen phenomenal. And uh, he talked about this movie a little bit in, in, mm. in that, but it was in a small section of interviews, you know, um, on Come Back to the Five and I'm Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean, uh, Fool for Love, you know, mm -hmm. a, uh, several of these movies that he just kind of, I think, came to because he was working in theater because he couldn't get hired in Hollywood. You know, it wasn't, it wouldn't be until The Player. Which is what, 92? 91, 91, 91, uh, where he would really hit, you know, everybody, oh my God, yeah, Robert Altman's still alive. He's amazing. He's been doing mm -hmm. all these great films for, you know, numbers of years. And, 
And then he went on a great stretch in the nineties where he made some really, some of my favorite movies, you know, cookies, fortune, shortcuts, Kansas city is a great little Altman film. Mm-hmm. Um, I love a Prairie home companion. I mean, I just, I just love that movie. I love the I, end of that movie. I, I, his, I think that's a great, you know, he was dying ending. when right. he made that movie. Right. Yeah. PTA, right. Came onto the set and, and was there as just kind in of case insurance. insurance. That, yeah. Yes. Um, and, um, you know, it, it really Garrison Keillor and Robert Altman fought about this because Garrison Keillor never thought that his Prairie Home Companion stories were about aging and dying and death. And Altman mm-hmm. made this beautiful elegy to really recognizing his mm-hmm. own finite time and, and, and mm-hmm. his, his own impending impending death so it's a sad movie but so beautiful it's such a beautiful little little movie god that diner scene is just so well composed at the end yeah how beautiful virginia Matson is as she walks in and they all have different reactions on their face as they're looking at her as they know they're looking at the angel like that they know yeah oh shit gonna come for me one day you know? right it's yeah. coming yeah, yeah it's coming for all of us man okay so we have a discord now uh if i can't put it up this week in the show notes for some reason i'm gonna try to start linking to it uh directly in the show notes uh if you if it's not there or for some reason you can't access it uh email us lonelyphds at gmail.com that's one word lonelyphds at gmail.com uh, if you give me an email, uh, if you if you give us a ring, we'll we'll we'll, we'll send you the link and and, and try to go out uh, from there. You can also, of course, uh, if you prefer email over you know social media, uh, you can email us questions there or comments about the show, and we are happy to interact with you uh, through that. I'm Dr. Jeffrey Hayes. I'm Dr. Joseph Watson. We're two lonely PhDs, and we'll see you next time.